Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, your goodness to us. We thank you that you're a God who uh, wants to know us and wants us to know you. Uh, we thank you for this Gospel of Mark in which we see um, wonderful pictures of the Lord Jesus. And we pray you would teach us from this uh, short passage now, help us to learn more about him and as a result more about the people that we ought to be. So please, by your Spirit, open this uh, the, these verses to our minds and hearts we might, that we might be better disciples for you in the days to come. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, it's very nice to be back at St. Stephen's. A little while since I was here, I think, um, but um, very good to be, to be back again. Um, I think I've said before, you, you're, you're not unlike where we are at St. John's. Uh, you're fairly informed and so on, so I always feel very at home here, so it's always nice to come back. Hopefully on the screen there you'll see a book, um, I don't know if you recognize it, I doubt you will, uh, but when it came out it created a bit of a stir. It's called New Rules, uh, subtitled Searching for Self-Fulfillment in a World Turned Upside Down. It was written by a man called Daniel Yankelovich of New York University. And in this book he documented a shift uh, in social values in the 1970s. Uh, a far more uh, uh, massive sh shift, more recent than any other social, sh social shift uh, in recent years. He said that the old rules, so before, I guess in the early part of the 20th century and before, they stressed duty to other people, particularly to your family, and if someone was selfish and they got caught, um, then it was embarrassing and it looked ugly and you felt shame. But he said that from the middle of the 20th century, these rules have changed. So Yankelovich's new rules are quite different. Uh, and it's only really one new rule. That is that our primary responsibility is now for our own needs and interests. All other relationships, all other priorities and values in our lives must fit into that, into our own self-fulfillment, if you like. But after tracking about 3,000 people in in-depth interviews and analyzing hundreds of thousands of questionnaires, uh, he admitted that so far the search for self-fulfillment had been futile and it had only resulted in people facing uh, insecurity and confusion. And the concerning thing about it is this, that here we are in the first part of the 21st century and actually we've all bought into these rules, or this rule of self-fulfillment. And maybe the most frightening thing is that there actually is no difference between Christians and non-Christians in this respect. All of us, Christians and non-Christians alike, uh, were more or less conditioned uh, to, to accepting the need to work towards our own personal self-fulfillment. And as we look at this passage from Mark, this is just what we see in the attitudes of the disciples. So maybe it's actually not such a new thing after all. And this story from Mark is uh, like a mirror, uh, which if we hold it up to reflect uh, our own lives, it'll show us who we really are. But it will also show us another way. It'll show us what true greatness really is. So first of all, what we are really like. 
Well, just have a look at what Jesus has been telling his disciples. These are a few verses just before this incident with James and John. So verses 32 to 34, where it says, Again, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, that is Jesus, will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And there's no sense in these couple of verses of Jesus seeking self-fulfillment, is there? Jesus, the servant king, had come uh, from heaven to earth to defeat sin, death, and the devil. His concern wasn't for himself, but actually it was for you and me. And he'd come to win that victory by humbling himself, by laying down his life for us, and, from rising, uh, and by rising from the dead so that we could be free to serve him for all eternity. He'd come to suffer and die to rescue us from what we are really like, from our sinfulness, from our rebellion against God. Um, Jesus was going to be betrayed by a disciple, condemned to death by the religious leaders. He was going to be mocked. He was going to be spat upon. He was going to be flogged. He was going to be killed for doing nothing wrong. And he would drink the cup of divine punishment, if you like, that he refers to in verse 38. That is, he would suffer and die on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserve, drinking that cup in full, so that we can know God through faith in him, and so that we don't have to take that cup of punishment. So we can see from these couple of verses, just before our reading, just what Jesus was like. He came primarily to be a servant, he came to serve you and to serve me. But when we get on to James and John, we realize what we're really like. So this request of James and John illustrates it really well. In fact, if this little incident hadn't been recorded for us, it would be hard for us to believe that immediately after Jesus had told them about his, his suffering, his death, his flogging, him being killed... Um, that they would have come up with such a, an ambitious and selfish request. Look down at verse 35 through to 41. Here's what happens. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, there you have uh, a request for self-fulfillment. We want you to do for us whatever, uh, for whatever we ask. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. They want status. They want position. They want to be honored. They want power. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Here they are. Here's Jesus actually referring to his suffering and death that he'd just been talking about. And they answer very confidently, we can. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. And then verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. 
So what are James and John primarily concerned with here? Well, it appears they're interested in having their wants, their desires being fulfilled. They want to be served. They want to be honored by other people. They wanted Jesus to do for them whatever they asked. They wanted to sit at the places of prominence in the kingdom of God, at his left and his right hand. They said they could drink the cup that Jesus drinks, but they didn't understand. And, and if uh, they'd known the true cost of privilege in the kingdom of God, they wouldn't have asked in the first place. They wanted position and power on a plate. And it really illustrates our own sinfulness, our, our, our own attitudes, the sort of things that separate us from God. I'm sure you've heard sin before described as a word with I in the middle, and actually that explains for us what sin is like. I am in the middle of everything in my life. Me first, me, me central, um, God last, other people on the periphery. My wants rather than God's wants. Position and power at the expense of other people. And if we're honest with ourselves, really deep down, that's what we're like. We want all that sort of stuff for ourselves. We want to be the center of our own universe. And that's the seed of all our problems, you know. Uh, if every individual is being driven uh, towards self-fulfillment, to putting themselves first, there's going to be clashes between individuals, there's going to be quarrels and fights, there's even going to be wars following on. And certainly the desires of James and John almost starts a quarrel with the ten of the disciples. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They were angry with them and no doubt wanted these places for themselves. No doubt wished they'd asked Jesus first for those positions. Let me take you to James chapter 4 in the, um, in the New Testament. He says this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's what James and John are illustrating here in this little account. So what's the answer to what we really like? What's the answer to our sin problem that cuts us off from God and which causes fights and quarrels, breakdown in human relationships, and even in international relations, and actually which causes the suffering of so many people? Well, James goes on to say this in the next few verses, verses 6 to 10 of chapter 4 in his short letter. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, this is the answer to all the problems that come about when we live self-centered lives. 
when we find out our self-centered lives don't actually give us the, the, the fulfillment uh, that we really want. We have to humble ourselves before God, admit that things aren't right, that admit our sinfulness, um, admit our unwillingness to serve and our, our, our desire to change and go His way instead. We need to willingly take up our cross daily, trusting in Christ. And then it says, He will lift you up. That's what James and John wanted. They wanted to be lifted up. But the way for that is by, first of all, us humbling ourselves under God. Maybe some need to hear that this evening for, for themselves. Maybe up to now in your life you've been largely proud or stubborn. Maybe you've even been exercising power over people uh, in a self-centered way to de demonstrate to people just how great you are, to show people that you're someone of influence and status. But, you know, that's not true greatness. We're going to look at that in a minute. But, uh, uh, but you realize that actually you need to humble yourself before God. You need to repent and believe the good news, as Jesus said right at the beginning of his gospel in Mark. The good news being that Jesus came not to be served, not to sit on a throne and have people serve him, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that word means that he came to buy back people from the slavery of sin and death by paying a price. And the price was to be his suffering and his death. Galatians 2.20 says, The Son of God loved you and, and gave himself for you. He died for you. He drank that divine cup of punishment, if you like, so that we don't need to. He did it instead of us. He died and rose again so we might be forgiven, so that we might be free from the power of sin and death. Not free to live selfishly, uh, but to live for Christ and for others as a servant. And that's how we display true greatness. So the first part of the passage shows us clearly what we're really like as human beings, but it does go in to show us really what true greatness is really like. True greatness is found in selflessness. It's about sacrifice rather than self-fulfillment. Now, don't be surprised if that's something you find hard to grasp because the disciples found that hard to grasp time and time again. And Jesus is so patient with them just as he has to be patient with me and with us as we try to get our heads around uh, teaching about the kingdom of God. He called them together and he explained a totally different pattern of God's kingdom where true greatness is humble and loving service. So look down at verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, I just put up the picture of, of um, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, where he demonstrated himself uh, the importance of being slave of all, where Jesus, in the Last Supper, 
took upon himself the mantle of the, the lowliest slave. Um, it, was, it was the junior slave who would do that sort of work. And Jesus, by his death and by his example of foot washing, shows that he came to be slave of all. Yet so often we see rule and authority being lorded over people. Maybe we see it or experience it at work. Maybe we find ourselves doing it over other people. It's a sort of way of the world, isn't it? In World War I, some people accused General Haig uh, and other high officials of doing just that. When they kept sending so many young people uh, to, this, to slaughter in the First World War. Not long ago, 300 graves were identified of those who were accused of deserting in that war and who were then shot by firing squad. One was just 17 years old. He ran after hearing his elder brother had been killed. He just wanted to go home. Some, no doubt, were suffering from shell shock or what we now call post-traumatic stress disorder. But discipline had to be kept. Uh, and how were they going to do it? Well, in that situation 100 years ago, it was by authoritarianism and by instilling fear. But Jesus said that's not how we are to, to rule. That's not how we are to treat other people. The values of God's kingdom are not the values of the world around us. Instead, Jesus goes on to say, um, uh, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. A life of discipleship is to be characterized by humble and loving service. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Lead leadership in God's kingdom is servant leadership. Not just serving some people in the church, but being servants of all. Not just serving the people that we find it easy to serve, but finding those, uh, serving those that we find it difficult to serve. And our example is the, the ultimate servant, if you like, Jesus Christ, who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as, as we've already seen. You know, we're not called to serve on our own. We're actually called to serve Christ together. Um, there's a spiritual war on, and if we went into Ephesians 6, which I'm not going to look at, but you probably remember the imagery that um, Paul uses of the Christian soldier. Uh, it's plain that we're to serve together in a spiritual battle uh, in the power of the Spirit. And Paul addresses the whole church at Ephesus as an army. You see, lone soldiers are quite easy to pick off. But we're to stand firm uh, against the devil's schemes in the full armor of God using spiritual weapons, the word of God and prayer. And the cost is worth it. There's no greater cause than the kingdom of God. So what's going to hold us back from responding to God's call and serving together and following him today? I'd love us all to go for true greatness by giving our lives in the service of Christ who laid down his life for us. Not complaining, not giving up time with a wrong attitude, but rather following the willing example of Jesus himself. Not because we'll get something out of it, because sometimes Christian service is really hard work. Sometimes it doesn't bring personal reward. It doesn't bring sometimes even self-fulfillment. 
Every Wednesday night during term time, I go and help lead um, a group in our church for secondary school-aged children, and they're off the local council estate, and boy, they're hard work. And sometimes um, I head off to that with a heavy heart. I don't look forward to doing it sometimes because I know it's going to be a hard evening. Um, I know we're going to have discipline issues. You know, and, and um, yeah, so sometimes Christian, Christian service is not about self-fulfillment. And sometimes it's hard to maybe drag herself off to that group or that situation that's, that's often sometimes quite difficult. Maybe you're serving here in St. Stephen's in some form. Maybe you're working with a children's group or a youth group uh, or uh, with a finance committee or, or any number of ways that uh, you could be serving here at, at St. Stephen's. And you're ready to pack it in because actually it's just too demanding. It really is hard work and sometimes you have to drag yourself to that committee meeting or to that particular group and you're tempted to throw in the towel. Well, we shouldn't be surprised because that's sometimes what it feels like to be a slave. We don't always end up doing the things we want to do. Rather, we do what, what we do to please our master. Often Christian service is costly. And I want to urge you, if you're feeling like that, don't give up. Keep going because Christ calls us to be servants of all. Christianity is not about fulfilling our own needs, but about serving the Christ who's given his all for us. Or maybe God's calling you to something in the church. Maybe somebody said to you, you know, you ought to be thinking about doing this, that, or the other. And maybe God's been prodding you to do something, but you've held back from committing because actually it's quite inconvenient because it happens every Monday night or Saturday morning or whatever it is, and actually you, want, you don't want to commit yourself every Monday or every Saturday because there are other things you'd like to do. And it's sometimes hard, isn't it, to, to commit ourselves. Serving God involves commitment at times. Sometimes you may feel there are actually more fulfilling things you could be doing with your time than doing that particular act of service that God's calling you to. But our call is to be slaves to one and all. If God called you to do something, sometimes it's not convenient, and sometimes we have to be like Jesus and become the slave and servant of all. There are many opportunities I hear, I'm sure there are here at St. Stephen's for folks finding ways to, to serve Christ the church needs people to be in service if the church is going to function as it should. And it's important that we find a way of us all serving Christ together. But the most important thing of all is that we do so with a servant heart, not grudgingly, not reluctantly. Okay, it'll be hard sometimes in some situations to be the servant of all. But God wants us to follow the example of the prime uh, the, the, the prime servant of God who is Jesus himself, the one who washes disciples' feet, the one who went to the cross for us. There's our example, and that's what we have to follow. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great example of Jesus in his service of you. Father, we thank you that he willingly went to the cross. He didn't do it because it was convenient or because it was easy or because it brought self-fulfillment. He did it because it pleased you and because he loved us. Father, we pray you'd help us to learn from him. Forgive us for so often seeking our own fulfillment at the expense of serving you and help us to learn how to be slaves of all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you, Alistair. Thank you. I think we're going to, to stand up and sing our last song. And uh, I think we've got very clear warning this evening about uh, guarding against self-fulfillment. So as we go into the week, let's go out there and serve and humble ourselves and let uh, not our will, but his will to be done in whatever we're doing. Let's just stand and sing our last song. Yeah.
of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and mind in the knowledge and love of God and of his son Jesus Christ our Lord and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.